It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across new and pre-owned petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid and electric Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Friday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show. We've a packed couple of hours for you. I have my Artist of the Week, of course. Abba, I have your riddle for you and much more besides. But I begin today and I don't think there's any need to remind anybody that tomorrow marks 20 years since 9-11, that terrorist attack on the USA that changed the world forever. Do you remember where you were? I remember. How could I ever forget? If you're of an age, you just simply couldn't forget. It's one of those moments in life. Well, today on Late Lunch, ahead of the anniversary and her appearance at the Hinterland Festival in Kells tomorrow, I'm joined by Robin Swan, who co-authored a seminal work on 9-11 called The 11th Day, The Full Story of 9-11 and Osama Bin Laden. Robin, you're very, very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jerry. It's great to have you with us on this day. Do you, just to ask you first, where were you on that day? Believe it or not, I was in a dentist office in Dungarvan in County Waterford. Oh, oh, oh. and you remember, like myself, you can never forget. And, and you know, while you were there, did, you know, that's 20 years ago and technology was quite different. W- when did you realise that this attack was happening? Was it almost immediately or afterwards? Well... Given that I'm an American, they immediately came in and told me that something had happened at the World Trade Center. And so, like everyone else, I went home and started watching it. My husband and co-author was actually on the road in Los Angeles working on a previous book we were working on. And so we we spent the day on the phone trying to trying to figure out a way to have him, believe it or not, uh, continue his work in a world that was rapidly shutting down. In California that morning, uh, there there was panic the like of which one only had seen at the time of Pearl Harbor. People really thought there would be further attacks coming that day um, and almost anywhere. So there was real, real fear. Now, conspiracy theories, we don't have to mention those even in the world of 2021 when it comes to COVID, but you can imagine and everyone understands that ever since that day, there have been many theories put forward to say, well, really, you know, the planes hitting the the uh, Twin Towers. Let's talk about New York specifically. You know, there were other forces at play. The buildings were blown up from beneath, etc., etc. You debunked these in the book. Yes, we, we spent a good deal of time uh, looking closely at the 
various theories that there had been explosives pre-planted in the buildings, that World Trade Center 7, which was not struck by a plane, uh, could never have collapsed if there hadn't been, that there was not a plane that hit the Pentagon, that it was a missile. Um, and, the, and the theories get more and more extreme from there, that, you know, that they had not been passenger liners at all, that they had been robotically controlled. Um, there are things that that one reads, if one goes down that rabbit hole, that it, it's very hard to, to see how people can believe them, but they do. And yes, we, we do debate bunk them. Uh, just to point to one, and I'll talk a bit about this in my in my discussion at Hinterland tomorrow, the the theory that it was not a, a plane that hit the Pentagon, but a missile. If, if anyone had cared to look, as I have done, at the absolutely horrendous photographs that were used as exhibits uh, in the trial of Zacharias Musawi, the only man ever to have been convicted for participating in the plot, uh, one could see the 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 carbonized remains of the human beings still in their seats trapped in that plane and and one reels from the mind that could suggest that those things have been planted mm, oh my word uh, those images horrendous in the day those poor innocent people who boarded flights to go about their business or go on a break somewhere and little did they know they were being flown to their death so no cover up for sure now but there were there are conspiracies to be talked about and you talk about them in the book firstly you have to talk about the confusion that surrounded the response to the crisis uh, by the military in the states and civil aviation authorities indeed you know, the, the, we, there was absolute chaos in the skies that day. The American military response was beyond a day late and a dollar short. The the uh, interceptors that were sent out that morning uh, were often uh, chasing phantoms. The chaos of the day was really only bounded, was really only brought to an end when Ben Sliney, the FAA uh, National Operations Director on the ground, ordered uh, first an air stop, and then he ordered the grounding of some 4,500 planes under his authority. And that meant that the chance of further disaster, um, even inadvertent disaster, uh, because an American military plane, uh, you know, could possibly have intercepted a non-hijacked airliner in the chaos of the moment. So Sliney's active you know, actions were truly uh, heroic in, in bringing that all to an end. And he was the one man who did, as you say, it was all over the shop. The other thing is this, and this has always been in my mind, and I'm, so, I'm sure yours and many, many people's. How the hell did the US intelligence agencies, the security services, the CIA in particular, not know about this plot? Well... That is a long and complicated story, and there are some things that we still do not know. Uh, a, a principal pivotal moment when the CIA seems to have blown it very badly, or there are things we do not know, and I, I, I am not sure which it is, but the CIA had been tracking two of the hijackers, Nawaf al-Hazmi and Karad al-Midar, um, as far as a terrorist conference in Kuala Lumpur in 2000. And then in the words of George Tenet, the then CIA director, they simply lost them. Now, 
that though that is not true they did not simply lose them they tracked them to the united states but failed to inform the fbi who has responsibility for tracking domestic terrorism threats within the united states there are still questions to be asked about what really happened there and why uh, it has been proposed that perhaps the cia thought that the fbi was not really well equipped uh, to do that kind of intelligence operation and tried in some way to run a surveillance operation of the terrorists um, on U.S. soil, which would have been illegal, um, or that they had been working in cooperation, perhaps, uh, with a foreign liaison, uh, another intelligence service to do that, which would also have been illegal. And and that when 9-11 happened, that, you know, uh, that could not be revealed. Now, that's pure conjecture. What stands at the moment is the excuses that were made at the time and that stood before the 9-11 Commission that it was simply a mistake. And it may well be that it was simply a mistake. Intelligence officers are, after all, only human beings. But uh, obviously, the the follow-up and the linkages between the the various... parties responsible for security are is something, of course, that has been looked at since and you would hope would be closer. Tell me this. Um, well, like, uh, I'd make a comment myself. The hijackers, they made no attempt, of course, to cover their identities or the trail they left behind them electronically and records and everything. The US knew pretty quickly it was Al-Qaeda and, and bin Laden. But I have to ask you two things. Why did they target Iraq? And why was Saudi Arabia allowed off scot-free? On the, you know, the the targeting of Iraq um, and the belief that Saddam Hussein posed a real um, threat uh, to the United States had been a hangover, really, from uh, George W. Bush's father's administration when during which we fought a war um, in Iraq, the first Gulf War mm. in 1991. Um, and the idea that Iraq was a regional threat and therefore um uh, something that had to be sorted out uh, went with George W. Bush into the White House. And on the very day of 9-11, uh, advisors to the president, uh, when he, George Bush was talking about the need to to uh, right this wrong and to bring justice and to go after the terrorists wherever they are, uh, there were those who said, yes, we must go big and sweep wide and it's time to do Iraq. And so that was in the planning from day one. Mm. Um, Why the Saudis got off scot-free? That's a very complicated question, one that I am, even as we speak, working on because it remains an active part of my own investigation, the Saudi angle. Uh, There are complexities to that story. 15 of the 19 hijackers were, of course, Saudi. Bin Laden himself is Saudi with very close ties uh, to the royal family. And there are still many, many questions to be asked. Um, we may be about to get some answers. Um, in the United States, there has long been a, a, a running civil lawsuit by some 6,000 family members and, and victims of 9-11 against the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and various known charities and individuals. And that has gone through the discovery phase, is heading towards trial. And even in the last 10 days, President Biden has followed through on a commitment he made during the campaign last year that he would release long secret documents 
that may in the end help us to get to the bottom of what the Saudi official role may or may not have been um, in, in aiding or abetting the, the terrorists. The Saudi government has already uh, preemptively issued um, another denial that, that, that they had any any part in it. Mm. Uh, so, so we're still waiting to to work that one out. Mm, and uh, I'm glad that uh, that the president has stuck to his guns there and will do what he said. That is going to be so interesting. Just back to the day itself, and you know, I've been watching twenty years on, like yourself. The television is um, full of documentaries and going back at this time. But again, it strikes me two things. Was it believed really that the buildings couldn't fall? And when you heard instructions being told to people who are stranded above and below where the planes hit to stay in their offices, and then you see the firemen all bailing in, heading to their deaths, it's shocking, isn't it? It is. It is. And the systems that were inside the building, you know, did not behave as they should have done. You know, and, you know the, the various safeguards that were put into effect just didn't work, um, you know, with horrendous consequence. But no, it was a it was a more innocent time. No one imagined those buildings would 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 be brought down. But what one found was that, um, you know, fires reaching a thousand degrees Celsius um, had a catastrophic effect on the strength of of columns. And and, you know, there was Boeing that uh, um, by mean I, bending of of structural supports that eventually uh, brought the buildings down, uh, and it didn't take very long. Uh, uh, hopefully, there were also lessons learned from that. Um, but yes, I agree. It's it's horrendous to watch and and absolutely heartbreaking. You mentioned Pearl Harbor and how long that took. It's still like you have to say that Pearl Harbor is still an issue that ramifications from which have rattled on for decades afterwards. And we're two decades beyond 9-11 and we see the chaos that still ensues in the world, the disaster that Iraq was, the pullout of Afghanistan now, the fear that, you know, terrorism is on the rise again. What the world's in chaos. They achieved. They achieved. Osama bin Laden from the grave now and all those hijackers achieved what they set out to, to achieve, to really destabilise the world, and it goes on. I, I fear it does. I, I see the same things you see, and, and looking at Afghanistan today, um, you know, the Taliban 2.0, as they're called, um, who have already put in place um, as their cabinet some of the most hardline members of their of their group. Uh, I, I don't see uh, any schism between them and al-Qaeda. They still are very closely linked. And, and with the Taliban in charge, Afghanistan could, could well become um, a, a territorial haven um, for al-Qaeda again, bearing in mind that al-Qaeda in 2001 had some 400 members. Uh, now, today, it's a, it's a franchise. It's a, it's a global organization from North Africa to the uh, Arabian Peninsula to to, to East Asia, and it numbers some 40,000 members. So, you know, yes, uh, uh, Osama succeeded in sowing chaos behind him. And I'm afraid that a lot of our, the United States, and I say our because I am still a proud American. I've lived here for 30 years, but I will always be an American. 
and with that, I own our my country's mistakes as well as its successes. And, and many of our failures are our sort of own goal on 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 the nine eleven issue. Um, and that remains, I mean, that that remains a frightening truth. Just before we finish, you you would despair to to ponder your words there, and you know it's a fundamental clash of ideologies between Western society and, uh, you know, a fundamentalist Islam belief that is totally on the other side of the spectrum and all else that lies in between. Is this the way of the world forever, Robin Swan? Oh, God, that's a terrible question. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) um, um, You know, I hope not, but I'm, I'm... and and I look at the world and I look at the young people of the world um, and I think there is hope. I mean, I think the best hope for Afghanistan is the 20 years they had where young women were educated and young men and women um, got a chance to experience what life could be like in a different world. And, and they hold out the most hope for any kind of stability for Afghanistan. I think it's a slim one at this point, but maybe over the you know, over time, the young people of the world will will do things that differently than we have done them. That's all we can hope for. Uh, I didn't mean to end on a negative note, but it is a question that has to be asked and something that will have to be addressed and dealt with. And I, I'm always hopeful, like yourself, that the the uh, younger people and next generations, please God, can come to grips with this. Look, you've given a taster to us uh, for tomorrow at Hinterland and I just want to remind listeners today, you are appearing at the Hinterland Festival tomorrow at half past five on the O'Brien Super Value stage. Folks, you've got to go and see this woman and listen to her. We've only touched the surface today. She's absolutely brilliant. And if you'd like tickets, hinterland.ie, hinterland.ie or the book market in Kells as well. They look after you there. All the details are there. You're fantastic, and I thank you for joining us on the uh, day before uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Robin Swan, thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. She's a brilliant, brilliant lady. She really is. And that book, if you haven't read it, I recommend it to you. The 11th Day, The Full Story of 9-11 and Osama Bin Laden. It makes some reading. It debunks the lies. And factually, it puts in context all that happened. Late lunch, LMFM radio, your riddle's on the way. Here's your riddle on Friday. The numbers you need, 086-1800-658. To WhatsApp or text me your answer and we have a nice little prize for you. Listen carefully. When asked, how old are you, Megan? She replied, in two years, I will be twice as old as I was five years ago. How old is Megan today? Once more. When asked, how old are you, Megan? She replied, in two years, I will be twice as old as I was five years ago. How old is Megan today? Answers to 086-1800-658 with your name and details, please. Robin Swan, wasn't she brilliant? Yes, I'm getting messages to say that lady was fantastic, Jerry. She was indeed, and she's at the hinterland, hinterland hinterland.ie tomorrow if you want to go and listen to her. It's brilliant. Anyway, remembering all who lost their lives on that fateful day and since in terrorism on one side or the other, I play for you today by Christy Moore and performed by him brilliantly, a song about war. One summer's evening, drunk as hell, I sat there nearly lifeless. 
An old man in the corner sang Where the water lilies grow On the jukebox Johnny sang About a thing called love Singing how are you kid What's your name And what do you know I will repeat it for you Of course your riddle on Friday When asked How old are you Megan She replied In two years I will be twice as old As I was five years ago How old is Megan today Answers please to 086-1800-658 By WhatsApp or text Now Husband and wife Callum Keane and Una O'Hagan Previously collaborated On number one best selling books About animals Saints Therese and Bernadette And on Wednesday of this week They published their latest work Which is all about Saint Bridget Who has big big connections with us Here in the North East And I'm delighted to say Hello to Una O'Hagan again today. Hello Una. Hello Jerry. I'm a bit nervous. Yeah you're right Bridget has huge connections there and I fear your listeners will know an awful lot about her so I'll, I'll have to be at the top of my game. Ah <laughs> uh, listen Una O'Hagan's always top of our game not a bother to you. Do you know what I wanted to start with? A bit of a bit of fun to start with. She gives her name to so many things like we know schools, places, mm-hmm. churches, wells etc. But tell them about the old biddy thing. I love this. Oh I know. Isn't it wonderful? Good old uh, Minnie Reardon. Mm. Uh, I know some of your listeners will know of her. She was the genuine old biddy. And of course, the name comes from Bridget, because there were a lot of Irish servants in both the UK and in the United States Mm. who were called Bridgets. Uh, They were known generically as Bridgets. But when they got older, they were known as old biddies because they knew too much. They knew what the master was up to. They knew what the mistress was up to. And, you know, if they were in the mood, they would tell everybody what was going on. So they weren't terribly popular. But, yeah, um, we have a great story. It's actually one of Colm's favourite stories in the book of Minnie Brennan and how she was the gossip of Lee's town. And and it was a brilliant character written by Mm. uh, Wesley Burroughs. Mm. She she spotted everything that was going on, told everybody, and quite a lot of the time got it wrong. (laughs) I tell you this, the Reardons was a staple in our house as we were growing up. It just couldn't be missed. It was must-watch TV on Sunday evenings. And poor Batty Brennan hadn't had the time of his life, or that's for sure. He's a long-suffering. I mean, God love him. Such a lovely (laughs) Lovely man. man. And married to somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) There wasn't a better character actually written on Irish television, you know, since then. And the irony was that poor Annie Dalton, who played um, uh, Minnie, Mm. um, she was the last to know that the series was ending. It was um, a journalist, I think, from the Evening Herald who rang her and uh, she saw the irony of it. The biggest gossip was the last (laughs) And she didn't know. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Straight from the off in the book, I just want to read a couple of lines because I think this really contacts her. It says, This is a book about an abbess, monastery founder, miracle worker and saint who in the 5th and 6th centuries wielded more power in the Catholic Church than any woman has wielded before or since. That's some statement, Una. Oh, yeah. And it's not an exaggeration. You know, we really don't know. We're not aware of the half of what she did. I mean, first of all, she was a bishop. Mm. Uh, Second of all, she founded uh, Kildare Monastery, uh, along with a number of other monasteries. But the Kildare one was quite extraordinary. I mean, it was so innovative. Uh, Nothing like it would be seen on the continent for about, I think, 900 years or thereabouts. Um, It had a scriptorium. 
It had, uh, oh, there was a cathedral there. Uh, it was a dual monastery. There were monks as well as nuns. Um, they ran a hospital, um, a guest house. Uh, they had schools and, and a kind of ironworks for chalices and fa- uh, farm. I could go on and on. Mm. But she was quite extraordinary. She was way ahead of her time. And a master brewer to boot. I know. Wouldn't you love to be in her company? All right? oh, <laughs> yeah. m- move over Hophouse. What are you talking <laughs> oh, about? They're only in the Haveny place. <laughs> because ale, it, it was actually ale that she brewed at the time because there weren't hops in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. ale was a very important drink mm. because it was nutritious and it was safer than water. You you got calories from it uh, and it wasn't as intoxicating then as it is now. So it was a kind of a staple uh, of the, the diet at the time. But uh, up, again, this happened up in your neck of the woods and mm. um, there were... Uh, 17 monasteries that Bridget used to supply in a place called the Fir Tullock, which is... Um, basically ancient Mies. Mm. And one Easter time, she ran out of almost all her ingredients except for one portion of malt. But that didn't stop her. Somehow, miraculously or otherwise, whatever way you want to look at it, she supplied all 17 monasteries for 11 days. So they must have had a good time. (laughs) I'd say they had a great time. Now, as you said, synonymous with this area here, not far from where I sit today, Mm. she was born at Fawhart in 450 AD. And I wanted to come up, well, a few centuries, because 1934, and you... uh, write about this in the book, mm. was a significant year, that pilgrimage. It was a great summer and the great and good in politics and life in Ireland and over 15,000 people descended on it. Yeah, absolutely. It was the first national pilgrimage to Fahart. Uh, I mean, it was hot. It was about 98 degrees on the day and it had been a very hot summer and there were people falling like flies. Uh, I think it was the John's Ambulance were involved in looking after them. But there was a huge crowd came. There were, as they called them omnibuses from all over the country. Trains came. There were bicycles parked left, right and centre, thrown here, there and everywhere. And there was a beautiful um, parade from uh, from Dundalk itself right out to the shrine. Apparently it took about an hour to complete. Mm. But there were bands, there were, um, you know, there was a, a cart with a beautifully decorated cart with six girls, all call, all with the name Bridget, mm. uh, which was lovely. But you're right, De Valera was there. Um, the opposition leader, Doug, yes. um, Cosgrave, was there. And the guy I liked was the Alfie Byrne, who was the Lord Mayor of Dublin, yeah. known as the Shaking Hand of Dublin <laughs> because he shook everybody's hand. <laughs> And, you know, that started off uh, an occasion that was followed year on year. And Bridget is still celebrated. Mm. We know that to this very day. Um, You know, the name Bridget you mentioned there as well. Right, it's not a name of modern day, but there are a lot of Bridgets in Ireland who were called after this wonderful lady. Oliver Cromwell, I can't believe this. I know everybody asks us about this. She was his eldest daughter and he called her Bridget Um, and shortened it to Biddy. She also had a daughter called uh, Bridget, who was known as Little Biddy. And Cromwell was actually mad about his granddaughter. He trusted her with all sorts of information. Even when other people would say to her, you know, that little girl is still around here. I I would trust her with anything. And the name actually went right through uh, up to the 19th century. That's as far as we could trace it. But yeah, Mm. I find that 
extraordinary that uh, mm. Oliver Cromwell called his daughter Bridget. But it was everywhere. It was everywhere. I, I don't want to mention, I, I don't like mentioning this man's name, but the name Hitler, which just, you know, mm. y- y- we really want to forget about. Well, we shouldn't forget about ever and, and what he uh, brought to this uh, world, terror and, and murder and everything else besides. But the name Bridget and Hitler, what's the connection there? I know. Adolf Hitler's sister-in-law was Bridget from Tala. And I find that amazing. She was actually Bridget Dowling. Uh, her mother was um, Bridget Reynolds and her mother was Bridget Quirk. So this is a name that went right through the 19th century. Uh, our Bridget met um, Hitler's uh, half-brother, mm. Alois, in mm. Dublin at the RDS. He was a waiter in uh, the Shelburne Hotel. They eloped together, they got married, they had a child. But she actually met the Fuhrer in the Berghof. Um, I think it was 1938 or 39, I'm not sure. But uh, she had lunch with him. Um, vegetarian, of course, with asparagus swimming and butter, scrambled eggs, uh, a lovely dessert. And he, he called her Brigitte, the mm. uh, German name for it. But we, we traced them. She ended up, and her son ended up emigrating uh, to America and we traced where she's buried uh, and the name Hitler does not appear on her gravestone. The name Bridget does but, yes. but a different surname. And and we have to move into the whole area of showbiz because mm-hmm. Bridget Bardot, yes, there's a the connection wonderful. there. The wonderful BB. Yes. The connection is the name. Yeah. I mean, the name came into France, actually, Brigitte or Bridget, uh, through Irish missionaries. That's one way. And they spread right throughout France, particularly around the kind of Brittany area, and also a bit more circuitously via Sweden. And uh, a Swedish queen who's, uh, who's called Birgitta Harald's daughter. But her mother was, was a Bridget O'Brien from, you know, <laughs> guess where, Ireland, you know. <laughs> and she became very famous throughout yes. Europe. But Bridget was uh, Brigitte Bar- Uh, It was unusual that she got that name when she was born because it was well outside the top 100 popular names in Mm. France. Mm. And it was only in 1959 when she became an absolute superstar. I I don't think people realise, young people realise how big a star she was then. But it became the number one France uh, name in France uh, for girls in 1959. Wow. And there's, you know, Brigitte Macron is kind of a, an example of that. She was yes. from that, that same era. Mm. era. Well, the name has reached far around this little globe that we all uh, live on. You know, when you think about it, and I mentioned it a few moments ago uh, when I read the lines from the beginning of the book, like women in the church, and it goes on today, you know, for uh, the, the whole area of equality and why aren't women priests, etc. How did this woman of our time wield such influence? Well, she was an absolutely iron-willed, determined woman who knew what she wanted to do. She won great respect at the time from uh, people like Bishop Mel, Saint Mel, Saint uh, Gildas from England came over to her, made a bell specially for her. Saint Brendan met her. She was hugely esteemed. But she also, nothing could stop her. And she knew what she wanted to do. Uh, And she she succeeded and she ended up, Colm says that, like, just as an example, the Kildare Monastery, mm. uh, he said that that was the equivalent. When you know what's happened there, uh, when you realise the size of it, it's like a, a Google uh, or a Facebook. But, but the additional thing is that she was actually a bishop 
as well. Yeah. You can't forget that, mm, that mm. she was ordained a bishop uh, by Bishop Mel when she went to be professed as a nun. And um, he read, according to the, the great texts of Ireland, the Behu Brigta, the Liber Hymnorum, um, the Book of Lismore, he read the Episcopal Order over her. Um, and that meant that she was a bishop, and a bishop she remained. So she had that kind of external uh, sign that she was a bishop. How long did she live for, uh, Una? We think she died probably in her early 70s. We think she died around sort Mm. of 523. Uh, Give us, you know, a few years either side of that. So she had a very long life. You know? for, for the time, and, and you know, when, when uh, people, uh, the mortality was much younger and to live into your 70s was some achievement. Again, back to this, because we know it here. We celebrate her here on LMFM every year, There's, especially in the month of February, you know, and all around that as well. The crosses, the wells, the pilgrimage. They, there's a festival, Bridget of Ford, uh and Dolores, a good friend of ours, is involved with it every year. But wh- wh- how has she endured and why has she endured? Do you know, it's very interesting. In a way, the powers that be were against her. She, she lost the political battle uh, with Patrick, uh, or really with Armagh. Armagh was promoting Patrick. Leinster was promoting Bridget. And the, the church in hundreds of years back um, ruled, uh, ruled for Patrick. Uh, she wasn't helped by the fact that she was a woman. Uh, and there were various other reasons why she was... The church tried to write her out of the picture, but, you know, they never succeeded. They mm. just didn't. People took her to their hearts. They knew about her, and they, they knew about her Bridget's Cross, the, the real physical manifestation of St. Bridget. They held on to her, the, her feast day. I mean, everybody knows, 1st of February, oh, spring is coming, and you immediately think, that's St. Bridget. Mm. So I think it would, she's actually in people's hearts, maybe even more than, and, and psyche and memory, uh, even more than St. Patrick. St. Patrick is a, uh, is a day to celebrate, to have fun, to mm. celebrate being Irish. But Bridget is, I think, a different day. Oh, the spirituality of the day gets me always. It really does. And you've just hit the nail on the head there. Look, it's a wonderful book. You've done it again, the Perry. I have to say to you, you're the only people in the world, I think, could get us all enthused about a saint that lived way back when, 450 AD, and make her relevant and bring her to life again today. Tell Colm. A masterpiece again, both of you. Fantastic, I have to say. It's I'll, a great I'll tell book. Him. He'll be delighted. Ah, listen, you're, you're a great team together, I have to say. And it is out now, folks. It's called The Book of St. Bridget by Colm Keane and Uno Hagen. This will be up in the bestsellers charts. I make my prediction here today. I don't know what to predict with uh, Mayo and uh, Tyrone tomorrow, but I do predict that this book will be top of the bestsellers. Una, you're a star, and thank you so much for joining us. And regards to Colm again, please. Not at all. Thanks, Jerry. Take Thanks care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's the wonderful Una O'Hagan there from RT Newsreader, of course. Brilliant journalist. And that book, yes, I have it here in my hand. It's a lovely book. Would you like it? Anyone out there like to read this about St. Bridget? I'll give it to one of you today. You can have it. Here's the question. It's very difficult. Tell me, what day in the year is the feast day of St. Bridget? If you were listening to Una there, she mentioned in a moment ago the feast day of St. Bridget for the book today, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show now with your name and the answer. And if you'd like to call Karen, she might like to hear from you out there. 1850-715-958. <laughs>
Queen Don't Stop Me Now You'll not be stopping us on late lunch for sure Great to have you with us on the show this afternoon. Welcome if you're just joining us on your uh, smart speaker, the app or on lmfm.ie or on your radio, of course. The old radio, very, very important. But don't forget that app. Download it and you can bring us with you wherever you go. Don't forget tomorrow there is live commentary from three Premier League matches on that LMFM app or by clicking on the Listen tab on the LMFM website. First up, Crystal Palace take on league leaders Spurs at half past 12 at three o'clock. The battle of the two strongest teams in the Premier League because they're holding the whole thing up. Arsenal take on Norwich while Chelsea face Aston Villa in the evening game at half past five. Premier League live with now your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. And we will be looking ahead to sport later on in the show with our very own David Sheehan. Ah, Louise. If that's confirmed, I'm really sad to hear it. It says, Hi, Jerry. I just thought you'd like to know that your old friend Nancy Stewart from Clannard passed away this morning. She would have been 108 in October. Nancy Louise. Ah, isn't that really sad? I interviewed her a couple of times. I never got down to the house. I know it. And then the pandemic came in and all that. You're afraid to go. And uh, the woman was in a vulnerable category. Nula, thanks for letting us know. Am I right in saying that? She did. She did, you know what I mean? She two did wars. both two wars, wars. three wars, yeah, or, they yeah. civil wars, well. civil, yeah, back here in in, in Ireland, you yeah. know what I mean, and and then the mm. the world wars, etc. We remember her today, mm. and may she rest in peace, and we think of Louise, Louise yeah, uh, and yeah. all of the family there, Nancy Stewart Clannard. Uh, what a great age she was and in fine fettle that woman was she was lovely ah she was lovely she was full of the owl cracks she had the twinkle in oh, her eye positive wasn't she yeah wasn't she yeah not like Peter. <laughs> What did you say about Peter? No, don't say it, what you said a while ago. I know what you're saying. Peter, lovely to hear from you again. And we're friends and adversaries. Look, and I have to say that Robin Swan acknowledged Saudi Arabia's uh, role in this. I know you mentioned uh, to us, Peter, about it, that she avoided She didn't. And she said that the report is coming, Biden's report as well. Uh, and, and and you do say that you lived there for 10 years and you believe there was other things going on. But Peter, was undeniable. The two planes hit the building. They went in there full flight. All those innocents died that were on those planes. The innocents in the offices as well and the thousands that died don't you know there's no conspiracy theory around that anyway Peter someday you're going to send us in a message as Louise says and we're going to fall off the chair uh, when it comes to us but we'll, we'll wait for that day and we'll, we'll, we'll read it when it comes as well thanks for getting in touch with us on the show oh there's loads coming in on the riddle now and they want that book oh they love St Bridget out there they really do love her that's for sure still to come on late lunch Nikki Kyle is with us shortly we're going into the garden with Nikki Kyle and we're heading to New York yes before 3 o'clock on late lunch because Colin McKeever from Kilberry was there on the day of 9-11 as the planes hit the tower Peter and he'll be telling us all about his experience so let's head to the break and afterwards we're in the garden with Nikki Kyle Eileen Regan from Trim has won a thousand euro Geraldine McGee from a Clint near RD 400 and Rita Black has pocketed 400. She's from Pierce Park in Drogheda. Next week's jackpot in the bingo is €6,000. Don't forget to buy our book for next week's game online or from outlets across the North East. For more information, check it out on lmfm.ie. Ah, let's bring a bit of lightness and happiness to the show this afternoon because my next guest always does. We're in the garden for the next while with Nikki Kyle. Hello, Nikki. <laughs> 
Sherry, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Well, it's still not too late, despite the fact that the evenings are drawing in fast and the well, temperatures are not bad, to sow some fast-growing salads. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, there's, there's actually masses of stuff we can sow now, which will produce all winter and then actually produce lovely flowers for bees early in the spring as well. So, you know, lots of things like rockets and um, all of those kind of... Um, you know, salad leaves really mm. like that. And open-leaved uh, lettuces are the best to plant now. They don't get nasty sort of diseases in the winter because they don't get too damp. Mm. There's plenty of air circulation. And actually, there's a, a big list. Um, you know, I won't mention them all because we ha- don't have time. Yes. On my on my blog, the what to sow for September uh, on my blog. And there's a list of all the stuff you can still sow. It's a surprising amount, actually. Yeah, I have packets of stuff, you know, that I've picked up, say, over yeah. the years. And they are loose. Uh, corn salad, mizuno things like that just put them in now is that what you're saying to me absolutely immediately because the sooner you put them in the bigger they'll grow and the the more they'll produce over winter you know and it really makes sense to grow a lot of our own now because food prices are are set to rise Mm. um you know everyone is predicting that and you know a a bag of salad in 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 the supermarket costs an absolute fortune i I don't know how much it is i never buy it's about three euros Mm. Mm. it is it's crackers you know and you'd pick that much in five minutes from a just a tub on your doorstep there you go folks get sewing that's the message from nikki today now Look, I'll have to tell you, and I put my cards on the table. I've given up on the garlic. I'm finished. I'm not oh. growing it ever again. I have that bloody thing. I even tried it in the pots, and I'm no use. I have failed. What did you put in your pots? Was it peat-free <laughs> compost or soil? I know. I, I put peat-free compost in, so I did, yeah. And, well, and you probably I, overwatered it. I don't know what the hell I did. But anyway, I've given up on it. But come on, garlic, homegrown, you can't beat it. And now's the time yeah. to be thinking about it, isn't it? I mean, it, it really is. You, you know, there's lots of wonderful varieties on the Fruit Hill Farm website, actually. They're organic, so they're much less likely to be carrying uh, any diseases because organic farmers who produce these bulbs for sale have to be much more careful about their rotations. They can't, unlike chemical growers, they can't just grow one lot after another. You know, they have to break it with, with two or three years of another crop before they grow it again. So it's much less likely to be diseased and it's also much, far more likely to be stronger and healthier. And, and Fruit Hill farm have a fabulous selection at the moment um they've got about 20 different kinds that you can order for planting now or or any time up until january mm. or you can buy the packs in garden centers but as, as i've said they're not organically grown but it does actually despite what jerry says grow really well in tubs <laughs> if they're well drained and if you don't keep watering them all yeah. the time they don't need it i'm not putting you off give it a go there's nothing to beat garlic and uh, look at the thing is the, so- the sooner you've always said yeah. this you get this in the bigger the bulbs you'll have next year. Absolutely. And, and the earlier you can harvest it, obviously, and garlic in the shops runs out quite early. Mm. Um, you know, so if you have it, you can pull it and you can actually pull it even when the leaves are green mm. if you need it. Yes. Or you can just cut the leaves, yeah. which are also very healthy and they good for you. give a great flavour. They do. Any varieties you like in particular? Um, uh, Morado actually is my favourite one from the Fruit Hill Farm okay. uh, website. Uh, it's a kind of purplish skinned garlic and it is higher in allicin than any other garlic, which mm. is the allicin is the, the compound which is actually very good for protecting your heart and your circulation uh, and has a really good strong flavour. Mm. Now, if you don't like a lot of flavour of garlic, just use less of it. Mm. You know, I can never understand why people grow mild tasting garlic. 
Because, I, I mean, the more the better. If it blows your head off, that's fine with me. <laughs> Just don't talk to me across the table. Go out into the open and do a bit of gardening when you when you eat loads of it. But look, it is it is very good for us. And that particular variety recommended. Again, yeah. Fruit Hill Farm, you mentioned, with a great selection. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, other garden centres will have um, varieties like Cristo uh, and Thermodrome, which are also excellent varieties. But, as I say, they won't be organically grown. Mm. And don't plant them in, straight in the garden. I would plant them in pots the separated cloves in pots first. Okay. And if they go sort of mouldy and manky looking, then throw them into the food bin. Yes. Don't plant them in your garden. Okay. The healthy ones you can plant. And the other thing you reminded me, when you get the bulb, plant the bigger, you break the bulb out into the individual cloves, as you call them, plant the big ones. Yes, plant the biggest ones from the outside. And if you like, you can leave the smaller ones from the inside growing in pots. And if they don't make bulbs, as I've said, they will produce... Very uh, a lot of leaves, green leaves, and those are also very good for you. They contain slightly different phytochemicals to the garlic, but they're actually even more good for you than the actual garlic bulbs. Now, talk to me about late-season tomatoes on the plants and cucumbers. I still have them there. Just keep them going with watering and a little bit of food. Well, I don't think you need to water at all now, actually. And they don't need food. They won't be, you know, really just ripen what's there now because the nights are getting colder. um, You know, and as as the nights get colder, tomatoes tend to lose their flavour anyway. Mm. Uh, But do pick them before we get any touch of frost or before any pests or anything might happen to, um, you know, second with a few of them. Um, And mature tomatoes will actually gradually ripen in the warmth of the house in, in trays picked. Okay. Um, but actually, do you know what? Scientists have now found an anti-aging compound in green tomatoes. Really? So these are even welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> Especially here. Ah, <laughs> uh, Nikki, it might be too late for yourself and myself, but if you're younger and listening today, remember what Nikki Kyle said, eat plenty of green tomatoes. It's eat. never too late. <laughs> Thank to you. Healthier. I love you even more to say that. Absolutely. But here's the thing before we leave tomatoes, I have to thank you for something. I yeah. did sow the mascotkas. I yeah. have never seen such rapid growth and production of tomatoes in my life. What a variety. It is an absolutely brilliant variety and the best thing about that, Jerry, is you'll never need to buy seeds again because you can grow, um, you know, save your own. Mm. And if you want to save your own tomato seed, don't try saving from F1 hybrids. You'll just end up with mongrels. But if you save from a a variety like Mascotka, which is a non-F1 hybrid, um, just get the ripest one you possibly can, a really squishy one, squeeze the seeds out straight onto kitchen paper, fold it up, write on it what it is, don't do what I do, forget to write on it, um, and you'll have them for next year, and they'll be perfect, and they'll germinate far better than anything you'll ever buy in a packet. No, it's a bush variety, but it's rapid. I can uh, uh, vouch for this myself now, and there's loads of tomatoes. And again, the same thing, would you reduce the watering on the mascotka as well? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, yes. okay. Yeah, don't, because what will happen is the roots will rot as it gets cold, you see, they don't right. like it. Okay. Uh, but just just give them a dribble in case you know if they look as if they're wilting. Yes. But they would be in pots and in tubs yes, anyway. Yes. They are. They are. They're in tubs. Is right now. Looking on ahead in the month, 29th of September is a very important day in your calendar. Absolutely. Uh, the UN has designated it as International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste. Now, according to the to, to the UN, more than 30% of all food produced globally is wasted. Uh, and as wasted food rots, it emits methane. Uh, and that's a powerful greenhouse gas which has uh, 25 times the global warming potential of CO2, which is pretty scary. You know, so, uh, I mean, it, uh, again, as I say, um, you know, if you grow your own, you're not going to waste it, are you? Mm, no. Uh, and actually, a 2019 study showed that Irish consumers are each dumping 80 kilos of food waste a year. 
That's horrendous. And, and that is mostly salads, fruit and bread. Yes. OK, so we have a problem. So grow your own, certainly. And when you're buying, yep. you need to box clever when you're buying as well, don't you? No, well, ab- absolutely. If, if you're buying, you know, I mean, uh, if I was buying, I'd be looking for the reduced <laughs> counter first. But mm. don't buy stuff that's going to go off tomorrow, because if you buy one that's cheaper, it, it won't end up being cheaper because you'll probably dump half of it. Yeah. So buy something that perhaps you can freeze. If you don't eat all of it that day, if it's just going out of date, yep. um, and then, you know, eat it later. Just don't waste. I mean, I freeze even the minutest scrap of anything, even gravy and stuff like that. But it gives even a tea bo- teaspoonful uh, will actually put, you know, more flavor into a stew or, or something. I never waste a thing. Yeah, and it is a great policy. Now, tell me, what's the difference between a compost bin and a worm bin? Or is there a difference? Um, well, there is actually a huge difference because uh, a worm bin takes up only a tiny amount of space. Uh, worms are brilliant. They work through waste incredibly quickly uh, and they absolutely love, I mean, they'll become your favourite pets. They'll produce, you know, they'll reduce food and paper waste uh, to virtually nothing in a couple of weeks. Um, and anything apart from meat and dairy can go into your, um, which can go into the recycling bin if you must, if mm. wasted. Um, but, um, you know, worms can eat that uh, and it makes fabulous fertiliser for your garden. Uh, and there's an article on how to um, start a worm bin on my blog again. NickyKyleGardening.com yeah. is the website you've got to go to, folks. So look at, what, what would you use for the bin? Uh, anything. I mean, that, A container. That, Basically, it's, it needs drainage, obviously. Yep. Um, it needs a, a layer of sort of bedding for the worms. So I put gravel in the bottom. Then I put um, uh, bark chips. Then I put a bit of old potting compost, um, you know, with uh, old peat-free potting compost and some uh, torn-up newspaper shreds or cardboard mm. in there. Then put your food waste in, your, your veg and your salads and stuff like that. Put the worms in and away they go. And, and worms. You know, Tell me about worms. You get worms anywhere in your garden, or well, will they... You can, you can know that ordinary earthworms aren't the thing. You can either get worms off someone who has a compost heap. Yes. Or, or you can actually get them online, believably. You can buy worms online. Um, <laughs> but they are absolutely brilliant. And do you know what? I, I saw the most magical thing I've ever seen in my life uh, many years ago. Oh, about ten years ago, uh, when I was weeding at night by torchlight, basically. Um, and as the torch caught the side of a plant, I saw a worm actually reaching up out of its hole to grab a soft claytonia leaf in its mouth and pull it back down into its burrow. Really? Now, yes. most people think that worms don't do anything. This was an earthworm. It was absolute magic, and I wish I'd got a camera, because I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, you don't think of worms as having mouths, but they do. Yeah, oh, no, they, they do a vital job. Those worms are actually brandling worms, because I've used them fishing myself years ago, yeah, and yeah. I have lots of them in my bins. And if yeah. you have a bin already, you can transfer some into your new bin, yeah, and away absolutely. they go. Yeah. And, and they love it. And another great thing to put in is eggshells, because okay. that can keeps the pH up, you know, it doesn't get too acidic if you use lots of eggshells. And what I do is every time I, I crack an egg, I throw them into the bottom of the, the arga here uh, and they dry out and cook. And then, you know, about once a month, I sort of put them all in a big plastic bag and jump up and down on them, which is great, great visualisation. If there's something you don't like, you just imagine yourself jumping up on down. Nikki, I can see you. I can see you, Nikki. I see it, Nikki. I just see it and I can hear it and everything as well. It's, it's brilliant because it reduces it to very fine crumbs. Mm. And then you scatter that on every layer of food waste yes. in your bin. And that keeps the whole bin healthy. It keeps the worms healthy. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah. And we'll have a beautiful uh, compost emerging when? Next year, if you start the bin now? If you 
got the bin now. You'll have brilliant compost in about a month. Oh, be God, it's quick as that. Yeah, there you go. much, much quicker than a normal compost bin. Mm. Um, and it's much more efficient at dealing with very small amounts too. So even if you only want a tiny amount, you can yeah. put a worm bin under your sink, a very small one. And it doesn't smell. When you take that out, scoop mm. some of that fertilizer out that the worms have produced, and it smells so sweet and lovely, like a really good compost. Yeah. And it's incredibly healthy. It's full of microbes and beneficial um, uh, organisms, which will actually really rev up. It's like rocket fuel for plants. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, you've given us plenty of fu- fuel and <laughs> for thought there today as well. Nikki Kyle, K-Y-L-E, gardening.com. It's the Bible for the gardener. I'll be back to you. Actually, we'll give you a shout on the 29th to mark that day is that okay okay yeah, all I'll right Nikki. Okay. god bless you great Take care yourself. bye-bye bye-bye nikki kyle there most wonderful lady i can see her jumping on the shelves that is a sight to behold for sure late lunch lmfm radio after the break we're heading for new york city Robin Swan, who's at the Hinterland Festival in Kells tomorrow, joined us top of the show to talk about 9-11, at 9/11. and we're coming back to it now. Colin McKeever, he's a good friend of ours on Late Lunch from Kilberry originally, has lived and worked in New York City for years. He was there on the morning of 9-11 and, uh, of course, what happened changed the world, as I mentioned, and he's on the line. Hello, Colin. Hello, Jerry. Great talking to you again. And you talking to me. We we have a guy here who sends us in messages regularly and he's telling me again today that no planes hit the towers. What do you say to that? Oh, that's complete, complete bunkum. Um, you know, I saw it myself. I was uh, living in Queens back then. I was on the sitting on the upper level of the 59th Street Bridge heading to Manhattan that morning, Jerry. Um, the uh, North Tower was on fire. Um, I went to turn on the radio. Uh, 1010 Winds was our, our local radio then. And uh, as I was doing that, I averted my eyes. The plane had hit the other tower. I didn't actually see it, but I saw the explosion of that because the planes were coming from the other side, from the, the Hudson River. Um, the, uh, the chap on the radio that morning, uh, you know, said that initially we thought it may have been a mistake when a plane hit one tower. could have been an accident. And he said, this is no longer an accident, folks. Uh, so we knew at that point, you know, we were dealing with terrorism. And, uh, you know, it just left New York and the world, you know, a very insecure place for a long time to come after that. You uh, were working with, uh, at the stables and with your horses. You've jarvied, as we know, around New York City and lots more to your uh, strings, to your bow now at this stage. But you met the first of the people making their way up from, uh, you know, the south of Manhattan back up. That's right. Um, so, you know, I just continued on into Manhattan uh, I, I, just as normal that morning. Uh, they closed the bridges and tunnels, so we were locked onto the island, um, lost cell phone coverage shortly after that. So I just went on my route that I know always did, parked up, and, you know, I went to like a local bar and restaurant, McQuaid's, which was near the stables then. And I just, you know, with, with my friends and colleagues, we watched the events unfold like everybody else. The difference for us, Jerry was that the, you know, the folks who were coming up from the site, you know, they're walking in, you know, just covered with dust, cuts and bruises and, you know, listening to their stories and they, sharing their stories with us. It was just pretty horrific. Uh, you know, it was, it was an awful set of events for sure. Mm. Was there a fear when it was confirmed terrorist? I think of things like anthrax and chemicals and that yeah. type of stuff. What, what, what was that in the air as well, that this could get oh, much yeah. worse? Absolutely. Like there was, a, there was an awful fear of anthrax. Like throughout the day, you know, this is what we were listening to from from the uh, the anchors and um, the uh, you know local 
crop dusting claims, uh, you know, had, were missing. And, you know, it just puts very, you know, a lot of doubts in people's heads what's going on. You know, that day there was just so, you know, you could smell the, the uh, towers burning. I lived in Queens back then, Jerry, and the prevailing winds were coming our direction. It was like the house next door was on fire. Um, our daughter, she was born in June, so she was only three months old at that time. So the prevailing winds were actually coming from that, the direction of the towers. And um, my wife and I would take her out to Long Island and, you know, go to the shore and uh, just for fresh air, just to get, get, get Alana, you know, out of that situation, fearful of her little lungs that time, you know. So it was, uh, yeah. it was an awful set of events. Mm. Uh, it, it's left its mark not on only New York and the States and with the other attacks that happened on that day, but as I said earlier on, in, in the world. Approaching the 20th anniversary, what's the mood in the city like and, and what can we expect tomorrow? It's a significant date. It's absolutely a significant date, and I think, like with everything that's going on in the world today, and Afghanistan and the pullout of Afghanistan, the way that has happened, we can't help but wondering what would have happened, you know, if we had gone a different direction. And we all know now the direction that was taken was 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 very much the wrong direction. You know, thousands of lives lost, trillions of dollars spent. You know, and again in Afghanistan, a similar situation. You know, so it's just, it makes you wonder about leadership, about decisions that have been made. And if the right decisions were made and, and, and made in the right direction, what a different world we could be living in today. You know, so it's, a, it's a bit, uh, you know, it's really frustrating, to say mm. the least. And we are seeing a run of documentaries and programmes in this part oh. of the world, uh, Colm. You know this, you've probably seen them yourself over there as well. And, and it brings it all back. But I've, I've been lucky enough to visit uh, the site on three occasions uh, since uh, the attack back then. And I've watched One World Trade rising up from the ground. You're closer to it, of course, than I'd ever be. When you look at that now and the memorial below... Tomorrow is going to be a very difficult day for the children and the relatives and survivors. Yeah, like it's it's really the last couple of years, you know, has been pretty historic in in regards to like my kids now who are just my two elder kids are in college, and it's only now that you know the children who are coming out of high school, uh, they were they were born after nine eleven, you know, so it was mm. my children's generation that were born, you know, their moms would have been pregnant at that time and having lost dads or, you know, so uh, yeah, it's a pretty significant time for sure. Um, the uh, the world will stop tomorrow at this time to remember all of those who, who've lost their lives. Uh, I mentioned to Robin Swan earlier on it, it's life now in this planet of ours, not just in America, that we're going to be living with this uh, conflict of ideologies going forward. But one thing I want to mention to you before you go, Flight 93, the flight that went down in Pennsylvania and the brave people who tried to get into the cockpit and wrestle control of the plane and saved that plane probably ending many many more lives there was a guy on that plane called Jerry Glick and he's the fellow if you listen back I know this that shouts let's roll when they charge uh, the cockpit you knew this fella that's right yeah Jeremy uh, and myself, we were in the same class in high school. When I came over here, Jerry, uh, it was the high school I came, and myself and Jeremy became very good friends. Jeremy was one of the chaps. He was the chap who said, let's roll. And, uh, you know, with with one of my brothers over here, Alan, uh, he has a, a paving company, and his logo is uh, let's roll. And, you know, it's it's a full circle event from, from what Jeremy had said that day, you know, and uh, Alan, you know, like really wanted to uh, attribute 
uh, those few words to his own business you know it means a lot yeah so Jeremy Glick we remember him a brave yeah. man and brave others as well I always think yeah. uh, Colm of the innocents who boarded those planes I'll say it again to go on holiday or go home or do whatever they wanted to do and little did they know their lives are to end yeah. within minutes shocking absolutely, shocking absolutely. Yeah. it really is it's anyway it's, it's left its mark and its mark will be there for many decades and beyond to come look Thank you indeed for uh, affording us time today and we'll be thinking of everybody in New York tomorrow. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. That's uh, a very good friend of ours, Colin McKeever from Kilberry, uh, just outside Navin, now a long-term resident in the United States, remembering that day when the planes hit the towers. And we remember them all on late lunch today. We're heading to news, weather and sport. And after three, I conclude my story on ABBA, my artist of the week. And we look ahead to the All-Ireland Football Final and more besides where our very own David Sheehan. Peter, I'll have no thumbs left with all the texts he sends into me on the show, that's for sure. Peter, look, I'm glad to acknowledge that, that you didn't say the planes didn't hit the building. The planes hit the building. And Peter's saying, well, there was explosives at the bottom of the building. There wasn't, Peter. Anyway, look, we leave it at that for this Friday and we'll not fall out over it. Anyway, just to tell you that, uh, our winners today, the riddle, yes, the riddle, the riddle was, when asked, how old are you, Meg? And she replied, in two years, I will be twice as old as I was five years ago go. How old is Megan today? She's 12 actually. Ned Lynch, well done to you. You're the riddle winner this afternoon. Thanks to everybody who joined in the fun. And Uno Hagen and Callum Keane's book about St. Bridget. It's fantastic. I have one copy to give away. The question was, what is the feast day? It is the 1st of February and the book goes to Sean O'Reilly this afternoon. Well done to you, Sean, and we'll organise that you get the book. Thanks again to everybody. Big demand for the Bridget book, I have to tell you, and there will be. Uh, It's on the shelves is out there in the bookstores at the moment. Now, Abba, my artists of the week, after years of Will They, Won't They, on the 20th of January 2016, all four, Agnetha, Annefried, Benny and Bjorn, made a public appearance together at Mamma Mia, the party in Stockholm. Oh, there was great excitement. But nothing really followed until later that year when the manager, Simon Fuller, confirmed that Abba would be reuniting to record an album and develop a new digital entertainment experience, an avatar format called Avatars. It was hoped all would be ready in 2019 but a delay followed and then of course the coronavirus pandemic stalled matters until now. Last month in August the website of ABBA Voyage, the album Voyage, yes it's for the album Voyage and more besides, it came, it went live. Their social media presence was launched too and uh, the album Voyage as I mentioned is coming out on the 5th of November along with the Voyage Avatar Tour. A totally new concept and experience, I'm eager to see what this is all about. Anyway, two new singles are on the way and even though it's 40 years since their last collaboration, Avatars, listen to this, was viewed by a million people in the first three hours following its launch, Abba's appeal endures. And I've just got to finish with this classic today. Now come on everybody, up on your feet, up on your feet, let's be having you. I always think of Peter Kay when I hear that one. <laughs> I'm the send-up of the lyrics at the weddings. <laughs> Dancing queen. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that concludes my ABBA story on Late Lunch for this week. And we'll have more Artists of the Week for you and on. Helen, you're never too late. I'm just gobsmacked by this. It's fantastic. Hi, Jerry. 
I know I'm a couple of days late with my Teddy photo. We've been getting Teddy photos during the week since I got my Teddy Kelly from Louise for my birthday. But I haven't been off the road to get the photo to you. I want to give a big shout out to mom and dad, Peg and Jim and that boy who listen in to you every single day. Hello, Peg and Jim. Nice to hear from you through your daughter. This is Rupert Cherry, who I've had for over 35 years. He was given to me by my godfather, Lal Timmins, who was a Franciscan brother working in Kenya. He was known as Brother Placidus. Heartbreakingly, he was murdered on January 22nd, 1997. Rupert is a very special teddy. Indeed, he is, Helen, and he's absolutely beautiful with his blue dungarines on and uh, the spotted shirt and everything else. And he's lovely. He's just in impeccable condition. And that teddy means so much. It really, really does. Thank you indeed for sending me in the picture today. What's the name of the worms, Jerry? You mentioned to Nicky Kyle for the worm bin. They're called brandlings. You can get them in fishing tackle shops as well, but you'll find them knocking around your garden if there's anything rotten out there in vegetable terms. Anyway, Moving on on late lunch to our final break of the afternoon and looking ahead to the All-Ireland final and the weekend in sport, it's David Sheehan. Friday afternoon, let's have a look at a big sporting weekend and of course tomorrow, Saturday, yes, the All-Ireland football final between Mayo and Tyrone. And joining me once again this week is our presenter from Sunday Sport, David Sheehan. Hello, David. How are you doing, Jerry? Great. Well, 70 years, David. Please tell all long-suffering Mayo fans out there that tomorrow that wait will end. Well, I don't know. I don't know, Jerry. Um, I was thinking about this a lot during the week, and I've read a lot of previews and a lot of analysis of tactics and everything else. Nobody seems to be able to agree on how this one's going to go. It's very tight. Even if you look at the, I know you, I know my predecessor on this slot would have been looking at the odds, and it's it's really really close. Mayo slight favourites, um, but Tyrone are notorious party poopers. I mean, we've seen them. We've seen them turn teams over all down through the years, particularly Kerry in the early part of the, the, the or the early part of this century, I suppose, the early part of the noughties, and in the semi-final, just gone as well. So Tyrone are, you know, I think Mayo would have nearly preferred to play Kerry in, in the final than Tyrone because they're just such dogged opponents and they've improved a lot this year under, under Fergal Logan and Brian Dewar. Um, they've had a little bit more going on um, in terms of their, their style of play than they did in, in the latter years in Mickey Hart's time. So it's just a really, really hard one to call. I mean... 70 years, as you said, for Mayo and talks of curses and the amount of All-Ireland finals they've lost in the last 25 years, 30 years is just incredible. But I don't know. I, I, have, a, I have a nagging feeling that Throne are going are gonna to upset the, not necessarily upset the odds, but upset the Mayo supporters all around the world that will be watching on here because uh, they're just that sort of team. They, they relish kind of the slight underdog tag as they are in this situation. And um, it's just going to be so tight. I suppose it's great in one sense because... It's a, ne- it's a novel pairing. These two have never met in an All-Ireland final before. Those of us of a certain age remember them meeting in the 89 All-Ireland semi-final when uh, Willie Joe Padden had that hair net and, and blood streaming down his face. But mm. they've never met in the final. And it's actually great to have a final where we can't really call it because Dublin are usually there and, and it's usually uh, a procession for them. So it's going to be really, really close. I, I don't see there being more than two or three points in it. I just have a feeling that Tyrone are going to are gonna sneak across the line and, and add more heartbreak to Mayo's back catalogue which is uh, growing by the year at this point but it's, it's going to be really really hard to call it Well I'm going to keep Mayo fans happy today and I rarely do this on the preview but I'm going to say Mayo are going to win tomorrow and end that 70 year course so there you are, we're as split in this jury as anybody else but I agree with you, it'll be really really tight. Let's move on to soccer and uh, have a look at the old League of Ireland tonight at Head in the Game Park and I'm there myself, a, a rare appearance Drogheda taking on Bohemians, the they drew last week uh, with Sligo. It was a poor game, David. Bows haven't had a game for a few weeks. 
Yeah, and actually, you look at the table. Bose have um, four games in hand on on say St. Pat's in second place. Bose are in fifth with 22 games played. St. Pat's have played 26. Bose have been in, in action in Europe as well. Um, they've actually got four games in hand on Drogheda as well. When you look at the table, but. The last time the sides met was up in Dalymount uh, a couple of months ago and it was a 5-0 thrashing for Drogheda on that occasion. And that was really the start of their kind of poor run of form. You know, they'd beaten Sligo the week before away, went down against Bohemians and then they struggled to, to get things going. But that draw against Sligo last weekend, the win against Dundalk the previous day, they've arrested that run of, like, it was four games in, on the spin, four defeats on the spin, and they were really heading at speed towards the relegation places. So they've arrested that slide a little bit, Drogheda. The good news for them tonight is Chris Lyons is back in contention and we've talked about this ourselves many times off air. Having him back will be a huge boost for them. He was doing a fairly extensive uh, t- uh, t- fitness test, I suppose, last weekend before the game against Sligo and he looked like he was moving well. I spoke to him briefly afterwards and he said he was almost there. So he could be back tonight. Gary Deegan is back from suspension. So, as, as always, it's going to be really tough for Drogheda. They got that beating against Bohemians at Dalymount. They drew with them on the sides met ahead in the game park earlier in the season. James Clark had a very late equaliser that day. So, going to be a tough one bohemians are obviously a decent side and they had a little run in europe that that gave them such confidence but draw they just need to again pick up maybe another point if they can here tonight and, and just keep that little run of results going that they they've gotten into in the last couple of weeks because as we mentioned that run of four defeats in a row they were really heading towards the bottom of the table at pace and when you have finn harps and waterford picking up points like they are uh, it's still certainly not a a foregone conclusion that Drogheda won't get dragged into the bottom two, but hopefully they can just keep themselves in around sixth or seventh. Now, you mentioned the bottom two, and it is the clash of the bottom two in Longford this evening, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Longford, welcome Dundalk. Yeah, incredible, really, when you think about it, that Dundalk would be in this position at this stage of the season. That defeat against Drogheda that we mentioned a few weeks ago was the result that put them into the bottom two, and then they were only able to get a draw last week in another kind of six-pointer game against Waterford. So they find themselves in the bottom two. Longford, obviously, on 11 points in their 26 games, they're long gone. But the thing about it is, anyone that's seen Longford this season, they've they've very rarely gotten a hammering. They've uh, suffered like heartbreaking last-minute defeats against Samark Rovers on a couple of occasions. Um, they're, not a, they're not a bad side. They just can't score goals. That's been their problem all season. Uh, they just haven't been able to get the goals. They've only scored 18 goals all season and conceded 48. So even if they were keeping clean sheets, they, they weren't going to be getting the goals they needed to, to keep them up. So... It's going to be a tough one for Dundalk. People would look at the table and assume that this would be a relatively handy win for Dundalk. But I've seen Longford a few times this season. Anyone that's seen them knows they're a really gutsy side. In spite of the fact that they're in such a bad position in the league, the team spirit there seems to be really good. They always put in a performance for Darrell Doyle. And that won't be an easy game for Dundalk at all. They got that point against Waterford last week, uh, having been ahead, of course. And they'll be looking to get the win tonight, or tomorrow night, I should say. But uh, it won't be an easy one for them. And again, the former Dundalk are in. Uh, they would... You know, probably obviously love to get all three points, but it won't be an easy one for them. I back them to just sneak the win, but again, it's going to be it's going to be tight. When the long will will work the whole evening to try and get something out of that game. A quick word about the Premier League. It's back after the international break, and I've picked out two: the Ronaldo return to Manchester United. He said yesterday he posted, it, "I'm home," and it's going to be some occasion when they take on Newcastle tomorrow, Saturday, three o'clock. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes because, you know, obviously he's not being bought to sit on the bench and come off, you know, come on as an impact sub. He's going to be starting games. Um, what I'd be interested to see is if he's not if he's not performing in a particular game, will Ollie's owner, Gunnar Solskjaer, have the, uh, the cojones, as they say, to take him off? Because we saw what he did against Ireland with those two injury time headers a few weeks ago. 
the Premier League is a different ball game altogether. You can't afford to have somebody on the pitch that isn't contributing. Um, so if Ronaldo is, is you know has gone a few games not playing well and not scoring, I mean nobody's expecting him to be dominating games like he was ten years ago. But he's there to score goals, and if he goes a few games without scoring and without maybe making a huge contribution, it'll be really interesting to see if Solskjaer has the stomach to actually leave him on the bench for a couple of matches uh, and if if he does how that will go down with the fans how that will go down with Ronaldo I think everybody who in, who loves football whether they're Manchester United fans or not will be really interested to see how this one goes and how, how the homecoming tomorrow goes because Old Trafford is going to be absolutely rocking I saw something during the week that they they broke their one day jersey sales record in four hours uh, when Ronaldo's uh, jersey was being sold I take it you're back United to beat Newcastle Oh, absolutely, yeah, you'd have to. I mean, I think the fact that even if Ronaldo wasn't there, you'd have to back him to win. But the fact that he is there, the atmosphere is just going to be incredible tomorrow at Old Trafford. And uh, yeah, you'd have to fancy Manchester United to win that one with a little bit to spare. Now, don't ponder on this one because we've got to finish up. But the two strongest team in uh, the two, let me say that again, the two strongest teams in the Premier League are clashing tomorrow in London. I say they're the strongest because they're propping up the rest. Arsenal against Norwich, battle of the basement, no points for either side. Side, the Gunners they're going to win are they? You'd have to think so yeah I mean we talked about Dundalk being in a surprise position in the League of Ireland Arsenal uh, no less so in the Premier League um, they have to win that game they really do they've had a couple of tough games uh, since they were beaten by Brentford in the opening day but for, for Mikel Arteta's job's sake they really need to win that game and probably need to win it by a few goals and show that there's some positivity coming out of it David Sheehan thank you so much for joining us again enjoy the weekend thanks Jerry. that's a lot on late lunch for another week Eddie Caffrey's waiting to come with the drive big thank you to all our guests during the week to you our listeners for joining us every day and to Louise Walsh of course couldn't do this without her and I thank her again for a wonderful day on my special birthday on Tuesday she played an absolute blinder I'll never forget it and I'm indebted to her for that wonderful memory thanks indeed Louise anyway I'm away for a couple of weeks Alison O'Reilly will be in the hot seat here for the next couple of weeks with you on late lunch on Monday so do join us please from Monday with Alison from 1.30 take care of yourselves see you in a while God bless The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drada Dundalk and Cavan Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you With over 300 cars to choose from We have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars In Drada Dundalk and Cavan Low APR and zero deposit packages available See blackstonemotors.ie for more details Mother's Day is around the corner Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life With a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.